I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You done with your Oreo? <laughs> yeah, done with my Oreo. Okay, good. Um, Do we really know what happened? The brother did. The brother, that's what I thought too. I mean, that seems like kind of obvious. Hey, do you want to talk about death? Yeah. I mean, I stop. Murdery thingy Right above the, the recording button, and I'm like, just start. <laughs> I already started. <laughs> oh. What's up? <laughs> How's it going? Good. I'm really relaxed, and I'm ready to Are talk you? about some mystery murdery thing. Are you actually relaxed? In the grand scheme of things, no. Right. But at the moment, I am. You know what, though? After tomorrow, it's going to get more relaxed. Yeah. Because <laughs> then you'll be done with, yeah. with the college. Oh, my God. I'll be done with school forever. Well, maybe. But, yeah. My mom said now. the same thing. She was like, oh, no, don't be so short. I'm like, you think I'm going to spend <laughs> another hundred grand to do this? Again? Well, that's not really how it would be. But anyway, welcome to Mystery Murder Thingy. <laughs> I'm Chloe. I'm Mario. And uh, we, yeah. we both went at the same time. <laughs> it's because we're the same person. We're the same. Yep. So, so yeah. What's up, guys? Um, doing the late on Wednesday thing again, because like said, it's like still busy. Right? Life has been kicking my ass. It's been kicking your ass had a great day in therapy that's good did a lot of crying that's good and now i'm back that's also good (laughs) happy (laughs) happy finals week happy fucking finals week (laughs) yeah so shout out to anyone out there who's uh getting close to graduation so yeah shout out to all my grads out there whether you're graduating from kindergarten or college (laughs) (laughs) we were talking about that earlier yeah, I didn't have a kid. Did you have a kindergarten graduation? I do not recall, because that was, like, literally over 25 years ago. <laughs> yeah, because you're old. Old as shit. And proud of it. Do you want to go first or second or Haven't third? Haven't died yet. Every year. 
every year, Still baby. Still alive. That's right. Since the mid- um, Reagan administration. It's your... Today is your um, record. You beat your record for most days alive. <laughs> True. Every moment you're alive is... A new record for you. Welcome to the very first episode 71 of Mystery Murder Me Thing. I listened to this... The um, very first episode. I, I listened to this podcast called uh, uh, Kind of Funny Games po- uh, Cast. We should um, be called Kind of Funny. I know. We're not well, like... The- funny but we're like actually i mean they have a network maybe we should like message them and be like hey we're kind of funny i feel like we should be on your network isn't that kind of funny do we don't fit the theme um i think they have pods about different stuff but it's pods cool. it's cool nerd i like to call them pods because i'm so cool yeah it's true um so anyway should i go first Sure, Junior. Okay. Excuse me. So, I'm going to do some mysteries in space. Was that good? Mm. Was that, did that appropriately capture the magnitude of my topic? Mm. No. Was it stupid? Okay, anyway, I'm, <laughs> I'm doing some astronomy mysteries because... I like to listen to the Planetary Society podcast, another podcast I like to listen to that's very nerdy. And I was recently listening to their episode, The Skies of Super-Earths and Mini-Neptunes. Did we not do a space mystery? Um, I did science mysteries, some of which were in space. This episode, though, is specifically space mystery, astronomy mysteries. And I I did not do any of these in a prior episode, so. Okay, cool. I'm in. All new shit. Yo, space is scary. Um, And the Planetary Society podcast uh, episode that I listened to had an interview with this really interesting uh, scientist named Hannah Wakeford. And uh, she does all this stuff with, like, uh, modeling the atmospheres of different exoplanets. It's it's really, really interesting stuff. So anyway, I'm going to uh, discuss some of those astronomy mysteries anyway Anyway. um okay so the first one i'm gonna do is about a star mysterious star which is called kic 8462852 or more colloquially tabby star or boyajian star sounds like a license plate right um so i'm gonna call it tabby star uh so tabby star is about 450 parsecs away but for 1,470 light years, um, just to give you some scale, real fucking far away, um, if you, uh, technical term. So there are these weird sort of cryptic dips in the light given off by this star that have really attracted the, the interest, the, the curiosity of a lot of astrophysicists and, and nerds (laughs) like me. Um, so the, these unusual light fluctuations, which, uh, include uh, dims that are up to 22% of the light of this star. So a huge percentage. That, that's, so, like, really, really large. So it flashes a lot? Um, it's not so much that it flashes as as much as the exact opposite. There, there are these dips in the light. So it gets brighter and then it gets dimmer. So it it's it's at a it's at a it certain brightness dimmer. and then it gets dimmer and then it goes back to that brightness. But yeah. it's not getting more bright and then less bright. 
it's staying the same brightness and then getting less bright and then going back oh, to the same brightness. That's weird. Which would imply that there's something in front of it, right? That's obscuring our view of what's there, which is not is not in and of itself unusual at all. Um, this is called the the transit method of detection. So this is how we see exoplanets, and I'll talk about that a little bit more um, in a um, in another one. So anyway, though, the, so that what's weird about this one is the is the way that it dims. It's the fact that it's very irregular. So it's not like you know it's 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 not like it's a planet going around the star, right? We know that. Um, and because it's so large, like this 22%, um, that it gets up to is, is also kind of weird. So this is completely different than what we expect to see with, with an exoplanet. So is that why it's like caught people's attentions? Uh Uh-huh. Um, yeah, this is kind of like the whole mystery. So this phenomenon was announced in September, 2015 with an, um, open source project, um, which, which is pretty common in physics or in, um, uh, astrophysics. Uh, there's like the SETI at home project. There's like these different ones where people use their computers or they themselves actually look through like all of these data, right. That, that are created by these satellites to see like what's there. And that's how this was discovered. A, a sort of citizen scientist, you know, amateur astronomer noticed that there was this weird dimming and they um, kind of like alerted everyone and, and they've been looking into it ever since. So these data come from the Kepler Space Telescope, which was searching for exoplanets. But like I said, the one thing this this is like definitely not is an exoplanet. Like we, we pretty much know that. But there are some hypotheses that have emerged for like what the hell could be causing these weird, you know, irregular um, and weirdly large dips in the light put out by Tabby's star. Which is, again, kind of the, the whole mystery here. So one thought is that this could be a massive, uneven ring of dust. You know, you can sort of, you know, picture this just like huge, immense amount of dust that's just like floating around this star. Dust of what? Just dust, particles, (laughs) material, mass, things. You know, there's there's a lot of stuff in the universe. Some of it is distributed as, as interstellar gas. Or as dust. Um, it depends on the size of the particles, essentially, what you designate it as. Oh, right? okay, okay. If, if these particles conglomerate uh, to such an extent, then they, became, they become an asteroid or a planet, right? Oh, or a star. Okay, 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 okay. But if they're more diffuse and dispersed, then they exist as a, you know, more diffuse uh, sort of mass of, of, of mass, did that sound, was that yes. coherent? Is yes. that a scientific way of talking? Thank you very I much. Ha- I had kind of a complicated, I didn't think my question would be so complicated. <laughs> That's okay. I was like, is it like rock or? What is it? Um, it's like shit, you know. So there, <laughs> there are other solar scientists that uh, think that, 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 that there isn't anything like around the sun or that this uh, star, Tabby star, like blocking its light at all. Rather, they think that there could be some some kind of internal process in the star where it's, like, transporting heat and therefore, like, light, like, because uh, I guess the intensity of the light would change based on the heat, um, up and down, kind of creating these large-scale dips. So you can think of this kind of like, um, you know, like a lava lamp. You know, if there were, like, this lava lamp process going on within the Tabby star, it might be dimming but it's not because anything's going around it it's just because like the light's dimming 
can they not mm, they wait. can't really tell based okay. on the data that we have right now but there is a uh some some more possibilities and and one that's that's really like intriguing so um the the next one i'm going to talk about though which is kind of less likely is that there are a sort of huge multitude of cold comet fragments in a highly eccentric orbit which means that it's not like circular it's like more oblong uh that that's like what eccentric means in this um context um so sometimes more of them are blocking Tabby Star, you know, from our perspective. Um, another uh, contrary view holds that there are a large number of small bodies in a tight formation around Tabby Star. So this is, you know, from our perspective, we can't tell is this like a lot of stuff further away or less stuff closer in. Um we can just tell, like, something is doing this, right? The most intriguing possibility, though, is that this is evidence of this thing called a Dyson Swarm. Now, you may have heard of a Dyson um, vacuum? Uh, sphere. Oh. You, you may also have heard of a Dyson vacuum. <laughs> this is a different different Dyson. Jesus. Um, th- this, this is uh, Dyson, the, the engineer and scientist and futurist, who came up with you know all these kind of ideas right about alien civilizations one of them being the dyson swarm so this is a kind of alien superstructure and what it essentially would consist of is an innumerable number of energy collectors uh sort of um, photoreceptors right um that are essentially utilizing the power of Tabby Star for some alien civilization. Oh, what? Yeah. So it's like some like weird generator? It, it's, yeah, exactly. Or I guess that's his hypothesis. Or... Right. Well, well, that's like a hypothesis. So some scientists say that this seems pretty implausible. I like that um, one the best. Well, of course. <laughs> um, but, you know, in, in theory, it could be proven or disproven with more and better data. So we might see, we, we might really be able to, and the data so far have not pointed to a Dyson Swarm being the most likely outcome uh, or answer, right? But we also don't know. I right. mean, there, there's also not enough data to rule it out. So we, we really don't know. And uh, I say, as I always do, embrace the mystery, right? <laughs> and uh, there are many scientists, uh, amateur astronomers who have been continuously essentially looking at Tabby Star since October of 2015 uh, for more instances of dipping and to get a better idea of, like, what the hell's going on here. Um, But, you know, again, this might be evidence of unintelligent civilization. So that's pretty cool. Okay, so next up is we're going to scale down, okay, from Tabby Star to an exoplanet named Gleezy 1214b. Or GJ twelve fourteen B or mm-hmm. Ocean Planet, Ooh. and I'll, I'll talk about why Ocean Planet. Yeah, so uh, I'll call him GJ. So GJ is an exoplanet about forty eight light years from Earth, so much, 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 much closer, uh, orders of magnitude closer than than Tabby Star to us, and it was discovered in December of two thousand nine, and it's the most probable quote unquote water world. That's been discovered uh, thus far in the, you know, many, many uh, exoplanets that have been discovered so far. Um, So by water world, I mean that GJ could, could be covered by a literal global ocean. So you know how on Earth, like, 
the oceans or or really there's one ocean technically is like 70 75 percent of like the surface of the earth so uh, this one it's a hundred not only would it be a hundred this is also a much bigger uh planet Uh, it's it's a what, what people call a super earth what's in there so it's like five to ten times the uh, uh radius of earth and um, it's somewhere, you can think of it as somewhere in between a, a Mars or Venus-sized planet, right? And a, a, the bigger ones like Neptune or, or Saturn. So it's, it's in this kind of like middle ground between these. And it's also in a particularly advantageous position vis-a-vis the Earth because it passes in front of its parent star in such a way that we can measure not only its radius through the transit method that I discussed earlier, but also we can see its atmosphere, which is pretty crazy that astronomers can actually do this. They can not only detect that the light, you know, is being dipped in such a way that it is an exoplanet, but they can actually detect the light that's coming in the tiny little portion between sort of the outer edge of the exoplanet and the star so that they can see the the light that's being absorbed by the exoplanet's atmosphere and therefore tell us what that atmosphere is probably made of. What is the difference between a planet and an exoplanet? Um, a planet is within our solar system, an exoplanet oh, is in a different solar system. Understood. Or a rogue planet, like, between solar systems. And I'll talk about that in, in a little bit, too, actually. So, um, anyway, to, to get back to GJ here, um, our good, our good friend Gleezy, um, so, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, so, GJ first became known to us, uh, to humanity, as a small dip in the parent star, a twinkle. Right, if you if you want to think about it that way, in the the parent star's eye, and this twinkle, a dip of about one point five percent, recurred every one point five eight days uh, from our perspective. So scientists knew this was an exoplanet, and they were also able to detect uh, GJ by probing it using the Doppler effect, um, which I don't need to get too into, but essentially this measures the subtle wobble wobble, created by an orbiting celestial body on the motion of a star. So this is just kind of how gravity works, right? Uh, a, a star is much bigger than a planet, right? So the um, effect of the star's mass on the planet is much greater than the effect of the planet's mass on the star. Okay, okay. But okay. there is an effect, so and that's it is they measurable. Measure? Okay. Yes, and we've been able to measure these wobbles for many, many, many stars, including our own star. Um, and, and we know the, you know, effect that, um, you know, Mercury's having on the sun, you know, and, and we take that into account, right, when doing these kind of calculations. So by using the wobble, we can, we can find out the mass of the planet. Um, by using the transit method, we can find out the radius of the planet. Given the mass and the radius, you can figure out the density this is so much math so this sounds really boring right so much math but it's actually super important because the density tells you is this an earth-like planet essentially right oh, okay, okay. is it a rocky planet because again it's it the, the density is how close are those particles together right right 
or is it is it a more sort of like di- diffuse planet like a like a Uranus for example? So um, this one seems like it is more uh, rocky. So it's it's more like our planet, but um, doing the spectroscopic analysis, right, where where they can see what's in the atmosphere, um, also gives us some data. And what it uh, has shown us is that there may be a vapor, uh, water vapor atmosphere covering the entire planet. And that, that's what the, the scientist that I mentioned earlier, uh, what was her name, uh, Hannah Wakeford, that's what, what she probably thinks um, is going on here. So if there's water vapor, does that mean that there's a whole ocean? That the whole thing's ocean? Not necessarily. Um, that's a good question. There, there are other ways in which... Um, it may also not necessarily be wa- a whole water vapor atmosphere, but um, there are other kind of um, ways in which this th- these data could be showing up as well. So, for example, um, there's this thing called hydrodynamic. Es- uh, oh, um, sorry. Now that's that's later on. Sorry. Okay. So the the reason why we think though that it probably is a, a worldwide ocean or one of the reasons is because of this thing called the uh, hydrodynamic escape rate. So that's what I was going to talk about. So this is essentially how quickly the atmosphere would dissipate, and we would expect if it weren't being replenished that the atmosphere would have gone away by now. Oh. So there's got to be something. There's some kind of That's active. The key. Okay, exactly. Okay. There, there, there's like something going on here where the atmosphere is not going away, where it's being like replenished somehow. So um, it also seems to be creating a kind of um, atmospheric envelope that could potentially support a global ocean. So, so we know that it's like at least a theoretical possibility, and some of the data are pointing toward it being a a pretty good possibility and um there there are some some other um possibilities though like this thing called uh hydrogen outgassing or it could be a sort of mini neptune where it is kind of rocky but it's also very gaseous it's it's like a sort of hybrid between them again we don't like really know but it could be this kind of like water world where the whole planet is covered in in an ocean um, and this would be a kind of, if you want to think about it this way, a hot Europa, right? So the water would be hot? Some of it would be, we'll, and we'll talk about that too in just a second. Um, so Europa, just as a sidebar, is one of the best candidates for extraterrestrial life within our solar system, of course, because we think there may be a sort of global ocean between a rocky, or not a rocky, but an icy layer on top, right? Excuse me. In this planet, though, there would be no icy layer on top, probably. It would just be water. But there might there might be as well. And what there also would be, because of the immense pressures of this kind of global ocean, there would be these weird states of water, phases of water. And the, this is kind of where we talk um, uh, about some of these, so these some of these things, including these uh, uh, high pressure ices, hot ices. And these actually were just recently experimentally proven on Earth, where you can so so you can create ice by freezing water. Of course, we all know that, right? That's normal ice. There are a lot of different kinds of ice as well, other than just normal ice that you like get from your freezer. I feel like we talked about this because at one point you were like, 
you kept saying water ice. And I was like, well, what other ice is there? And you're like, well, there but is. Th- there are a lot of different types of of water ice. And, and one of those is this kind of like high pressure ice. So you can get ice other than cooling also by applying high amounts of pressure. And by doing so, not only do you create um, ice, solid water, it, it it's at like thousands of degrees because it's under such high pressures and high oh, pressures equal high temperatures I, essentially I, I, or th- not really right but that's that's how you can sort of think about it um so yeah there's this thing called ice 7 which is a kind of high pressure um ice with a higher density than normal ice that might create a kind of uh, ice ocean floor uh, deep within GJ or Europa and, and these kind of like ocean planets, right? And we know that Ice 7 is an actual real thing um, because in 2018 it was discovered trapped within certain natural diamonds. Essentially what happened was when these diamonds were created, they also trapped this ice or the, this water ice right within them and the immense pressures within the diamond uh, um, meant that the that that phase of ice, that ice seven, could actually persist even at the surface at you know normal temperatures and pressures. So, again, I guess that begs the question: like, is there life in there? And that's the other big mystery, right? If you have a a literal planet of water, that's like what I couldn't stop thinking about. I was like, okay, then like, well, yeah. What's in there? Ooh. I mean, certainly if there is if there is a a, a water world, I mean, it would it would be more un, I think much more unlikely than not that there is some kind of life as we know it within there. Like what? Ooh, that's so exciting to like think I about. I know, right? Like cephalopods, you Ew. know, or or maybe like uh like some kind of mermaids. Weird... Could be, could be, probably. I'd think so. Ariel's down there. Um Ariel. Her name is Ariel. Okay, so my last one. One more mystery in space. Um, so this one is, it, it is truly a mystery. Um, because with this one, we don't actually know whether this thing actually exists. And this thing is so-called Planet Nine. Ooh, I feel like I've read about this. Oh, with it. and this is the by far the most famous one of the ones I'm going to discuss today. Everyone knows about this. Um, it's been a to- topic of discussion probably since people came up with the idea of planets. I know, yeah. Well, we discovered one planet. Well, is there another planet? Oh, we discovered two planets. Is there another planet? You know, yeah. and that's why some people prefer to say next planet. You know, or or Planet X. Planet X is another common demonym for these types of um, ideas. And and people get into sort of, I think, kind of silly semantic arguments about, you know, is it Planet 9? Well, Pluto's a planet. Is it Planet 10? And if Pluto's a planet, well, then Ceres is a planet. Well, you just sort of, like, get into these circular arguments. But um, suffice it to say that many uh, scientists and other people believe that there is another planet other than the ones we know about far far out and uh, far out man it's rough far out so you can <laughs> say planet x planet 9 whatever so uh because there have been you know numerous and mostly incorrect 
uh, inferences of unknown planets in our solar solar system over the years. We we do need to be a little bit skeptical, though. So this specific planetary mystery started, in a sense, in 1846, way back in 1846. Back in uh, your days. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> That's when I was alive. When uh, Neptune was discovered, um, scientists naturally thought, okay, more planets to come, right? Like we were just talking about. Especially because of certain inconsistencies that they thought they had detected in the orbits of Neptune and Uranus. And one of the people pushing these ideas was this uh, sort of discredited astronomer, Percival Lowell. And I'll I'll talk about why he's discredited in a minute. (laughs) Um, He spent many, many countless uh, lonely hours, uh, Percival did, scouring photographic plates with a magnifying glass, uh, trying to spy his predicted planet, but to no avail. He, he did not spy the planet which, uh, uh, which he was looking for. So Lowell, uh, like I said, was discredited because he had predicted that the, um, you know, sort of like what we perceived as being like these big tracks, right, in the surface of Mars, he said that those must be irrigation canals for a civilization of people that lived on mars and he was like no it's definitely that guy's like for sure and uh didn't end up being the case when when yeah and we knew that in his lifetime as well we got good enough uh you know astronomical uh you know telescopes and such where we could we could see that's just simply not the case that's also pretty wacky well you think so but i mean given the information he had at the time yes people called him wacky at the time too but It wasn't, like, completely off-base, I suppose. So, um, astronomer Clyde Tombaugh continued the search after Lowell's demise, and eventually he did find a new planet. This was Pluto. Oh. Which, of course, has gone through various designations of varying levels of planethood, uh, one might say, over the years. So, Pluto's relatively diminutive size, however, precluded it from being the fabled planet X, um, uh, you know, kind of the in the way in which they were trying to discover. Because it wouldn't have essentially changed the orbits of anything else, so it's not accounting for these weird inconsistencies. So, however, recalculations made after the Voyager 2 mission flyby of, you know, Neptune and Uranus and the outer planets right. in 1989 also resolved some of the perceived inconsistencies in Neptune and Uranus's orbits. So it sort of obviated the need for for the kind of planet X that Lowell was looking for. But this is not the end of the mystery. Because there is another mystery of orbits that emerged much, much later. So there's this weird sort of quote-unquote clumping of orbits... Um, of these different, uh, what, what they call extra trans-Neptunian objects, I believe. The, these, uh, at, you know, um, uh, whatever comets or whatever that are out there past Neptune. Um, okay. Way, way far out. That's a big word for... Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it, and it's, it's designated ETNOs. That's how it's oh, usually written right. out. I like that better. Exactly. So there, in these ETNOs, there's these weird clumpings of their orbits. And this, you know, you can think of it as sort of like a flashing red sign to astronomers, right? If, if you're in the know, if you know about these things. <laughs> in the know. Right? If you have the, the, the requisite gnosis 
um, then you look at these data and you say, like, ah, oh, there's something there. So we're missing something. This shouldn't be happening. Yes, this technically could be coincidence, but it's be really 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 unlikely for all these things to just happen to be moving in this certain way that seems to be pointing to something out there that's making them move in this certain way so this sense was also reinforced in 2004 when scientists studied the orbit of this uh uh, sort of minor planet called sedna which indicated it had been changed by a large object other than the eight known major planets that, that we we kind of know of. So this could be, you know, because of the kind of uh, planet that we're talking about, or it could be because of a, a, a star having passed relatively close to our star in the distant past, or something of that nature. That's actually what I was thinking of. Like, how do they know it's not some other type of star that's making the orbit? They don't. They don't. Right. There's no way of knowing at this point. Um, I mean, maybe there is, I don't really know. I'm not a fucking scientist, but I don't think there is. So, um, yeah, this was, though, further reinforced by the discovery in 2014 of other ETNOs. I I believe they're also ETNOs with similar, um, sort of weird orbits. So this would seem to indicate that, um, there is one or maybe even two planets out there orbiting at... Um, some people think maybe in the nature of 200 to 300 AUs, astronomical units, uh, one astronomical unit equals the orbit of Earth. So okay. this is essentially multiples of the orbit of Earth from oh. the sun. So it's powerful? Um, it's it's really, really far out there. So two, 200 times as far out as Earth, or maybe even 300, or maybe even way, way further out, as we'll kind of get into here in a second. So a detailed explanation of this theory using six objects' orbits as a a kind of, like, test was um, published in 2016 by these two scientists from the California Institute of Technology named uh, Badigan and Brown. So they propose that there is a, a one planet, Planet Nine, orbiting actually even further out at 400 to 800 AUs. So 400 to 800 times as far from the sun as we are. Wow. Um, This would, just for context, be 13 to 26 times further out than Neptune. Wow. Um, So they think that it has a sort of like tilt of about 15 to 25 degrees from what's called the ecliptic, which is the plane... Um, on which, you know, all of the planets orbit, essentially, which is one of the reasons why it's been hard to find, because we're, you know, we're only looking within a certain range from where all the other planets are. Maybe it's further up or down than that. Um, is there a, well, I don't know, I don't know if this has to do with anything, but is there a certain range where, like, we would look at it and be like, oh, that's not in our solar system anymore? Like, what marks the edge of the solar system? That's a good question. That's that's a uh, bit, bit off topic. The, the edge of the solar system is defined, uh, I think, uh, usually by what's uh, – what is it called? The uh, it, It's essentially the, the magnetic um, uh, pull of, of the sun, right? The, like the, you, know, you know how the Earth has a, a magnetic field around yeah. it? The sun also has one, but it's like much, much bigger, obviously. And uh, we've been able to see with the Voyager spacecraft, actually, that there is a uh, reorientation of the um, 
an extra solar uh, wind, right? That seems to indicate that they've gotten to the edge of this magnetic, you know, um, envelope around the sun. And that's, in a sense, the end of the solar system. So, with this planet nine or whatever, they know that it's being pulled by our sun? Well... Or, they're, or is they're, that they're, part they're, of the mystery, I guess? Do we not know? Or? Um, well, they're, they're positing that it's a planet that orbits our sun, yes. Okay. If it weren't a planet orbiting our sun, then it wouldn't have these gravitational effects on the extra trans-Neptunian orbits. You know, Because it, it, it would have just come in and into our solar system and out of our solar system. Okay. So, th- in order to take into account, to, to solve the mystery, right, of these clumpings... It has to be that that kind of planet, but it, you know it, it could have started out as a rogue planet, certainly, because another mystery is well, if there is such a planet, well, where did it come from, right? How did it get to be so far out from the sun? Some people think that it was formed out there. Some people think that it formed within, um, you know, the the closer end to the sun, and then was pushed out there by an interaction with you know Jupiter or Saturn, like early in in the atmosphere or early in the. Uh, formation of our solar system but other people think that it might have been a rogue planet that um is this kind of planet that's just drifting between the stars thinking then got captured by our star or it could have been uh orbiting around a different star that then got close to our star and our star stole it uh, so the sun might be a thief uh, which is crazy so there's lots of theories here and it's it's sort of impossible to know i mean i don't know if that mystery would ever necessarily get solved unless of course we like found this planet went to this planet studied it you know which which, technically could be possible badigan and brown think that if there were such planet that we could get there in about 20 years using the sun as a sort of slingshot so and i think this is the voyager but did we ever send anything out there to see how far it could go? Um, I mean, with like, Voyager no was destination, a... just send it out there. Yeah, I mean, the, the, that's the end of the two Voyager missions. They're sent out. Um, they were sent, you know, in a, a trajectory out, you know, going out of the solar system just to see with enough energy or whatever. Um, to get information, yeah, about the edge of the solar system, and also just because there wasn't anything else to do with them essentially <laughs> you know yeah. um they had enough energy to escape velocity from the solar system and you know they'd already gone you know essentially around the planets that they could go around and you know that was kind of and now we're, we're still getting data from them we're, we'll still be getting data from them for years and years from now where are they um they're like way off topic now. <laughs> I know, oh, that's, that's cool um so if i recall correctly voyager uh, one has probably exited the the heliosphere. I think is what they call it the the magnetic, or or at least the the direct pull of the sun. I, I might be messing some of this up. I'm not sure. Uh, but the one is a little further than the other, essentially. They're but they're like they're both like pretty far out there. Out there. They're like like from out there. us. Yeah, and there's something that humans made, which is it's so cool. It's, it's so it's this. Space is too much for me. I, know, I can't. I know. So it it seems like it would be impossible to detect this kind of planet, right? With just like you know a telescope. But apparently it's not. Apparently it is technically possible with the kind of planet that they think they're looking for to actually detect it. Um, but it's going to take more searching, um, and 
may take us waiting until the uh, long-awaited, off-delayed James Webb Space Telescope finally gets into space, because it was supposed to already be there uh, this year, but it's not. It's probably going to be going up in early 2021. So that's going to give us a uh, much better capability um, than the Hubble, uh, which, of course, is now the gold standard of, of the uh, uh, space telescopes that look in the uh, visual range or whatever. Um, once JWST gets up there, maybe we'll be able to find Planet Nine, and uh, this mystery will be solved. But maybe not. Maybe maybe it will remain a mystery forever because there's nothing actually there. <laughs> like we really don't know. So anyway, that be a huge disappointment. Like I know it's happened before. So um, my sources were Wikipedia, uh, mainly mainly Wikipedia. Um, of course, the page for KIC eight four six two eight five two. Uh, Dyson Sphere, Gleezy 1214B, Water 7, Planet 9, other nerdy Wikipedia pages, you know, etc. And, of course, that Planetary Society uh, podcast episode that I mentioned earlier with uh, Hannah Wakeford. And, and her discussion of it is really what sparked my uh, thinking about doing this episode. So thank you to Hannah for being uh, an inspiration, as so many scientists are. I, I love a good scientist scientist discussion talking about shit that i don't know what the hell they're talking about okay so that's that's my story for this week that was wild thank you there's a lot going on in that and no murder which is nice to take a break a little refreshing (laughs) no one no one got fucking gunned down in the street i don't have any murder either that's good this this is a pure thingy episode this is a pure thingy episode i am talking about a really weird i'm talking about a uh a weird, weird, weird phenomena. 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 And I wasn't going to do it, but I kept like, it was like kind of in the category of something I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And it kept showing up, it kept showing up. And then like, I suggested it. You too. suggested it. And then it was trending on Reddit. And I was like, okay, maybe I'll just do it. Um, the universe is telling you. It's because, it's because I'm like very. Skeptical. I'm kind of skeptical of this kind of shit. Yeah. So I was like, I don't want to do something that I don't really like believe in. But then I like <laughs> found that there's a lot more to it and yeah, it excited. is pretty weird. So, um, weird. <laughs> weird. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to talk about, um, uh, the devil's footprints. Dun, dun, dun. So basically, these weird footprints were found. Dumb, dumb. Sorry. And that was terrible. Stop interrupting me. <laughs> and um, uh, so okay, let's let us begin. February eighteen fifty five. The residents of um Devon, England, which is a county, and then within this county, there's many cities. I feel like England is very confusing sometimes in its geography and the way things are, but whatever. Um, so Devon, England woke up to freshly fallen snow. So this was actually, so, so the winter of 18, 1855 was uh, the third coldest winter to ever be recorded it's in the, Britain. The, the little ice age, right? Right. Yeah. Um, so, Really severe conditions, heavy, heavy snowfall. Um, temperatures were recorded in the negatives from January until March. Yeah, it was wild. Wow. Um, 
the ground was frozen up to a foot deep. And the city of Exeter on the River X, the river was so frozen that hundreds of people were, were able to skate on it at one time. On a river? Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Like, safely. It yeah. was uh, a time. A time that I'm glad I did not live in. For so many reasons. Because fuck that so much. Wow, I hate winter. Right. And I'm glad it's over. We're trying to move out of the Midwest, as you can. Uh, we're trying to get out of here. Yeah. So, the morning of February 9th, word started to spread that there was uh, an odd trail of prints in the snow, and they they're like everywhere. Um, but for and and they're sparking, you know, lots of talk because pe- no one knows what they are. They went on for um from about sixty to hundred miles. And it's weird because, like, they don't seem to have, like, a beginning or an end. They're just there. Um, they're hooved, described to be hooved, and they're in single file. Um, like I said, they were everywhere. They traveled across roofs, and they were, like, over high walls. And they were sometimes reported to have stopped, like, right in front of people's front doors and then, like, turned back on themselves. Like, something stopped and was, like... Maybe, like, looking through windows and shit. Like, mm. didn't find anything. Yeah. Um, individual prints measured four inches long, three inches across. And they're between eight and 16 inches apart. So, you know, obviously people were pretty spooked, right? Um, and And this happened in, like, a super rural area where, you know, most people would be able to look at prints in the snow and be like, oh, I know what that is, that, that. That's this animal or that is it's like easily identifiable to to most people, but no one knew what these were. And the fact that they were single file is weird, right? Really, like immediately you're like, uh, I don't know any animal that hops on one fucking, you know, hoofed foot. Like what the hell? They were so weird. So there were, uh, later reports also, which I heard this and I was like, that's a rumor milled. (laughs) claims bullshit but um described them as slicing through the snow quote as if the snow has been branded by a hot iron i saw it the snow had been branded like a hot iron it was the devil this is uh britain not whatever that was (laughs) that's just me oh (laughs) it was the devil it was the devil? Oh, no, well, what does he say? <laughs> Have you ever seen the devil, Mr. Proctor? <laughs> uh, the Crucible. Go, go see it. So, um... Where? <laughs> Just in general? <laughs> yeah, no, there's a, there's a movie that's okay. The movie's not that great. <laughs> anyway, go on. You know me, I like most movies. Yeah. Um, so, there's lots of reports in the press, and I actually found, like a paper that had tons and tons of source material and like primary sources of like uh, newspaper reports at the time. And so Mm -hmm. I have a lot of quotes from there. So the times reported, this was February 16th, 1855 quote. If I had a good British accent, I would read in a British accent, but my British accent's terrible. So I'm just not even going (laughs) to consider. You don't want to offend the Brits among our listeners. I do not. (laughs) All three of them. (laughs) 
considerable sense okay so quote considerable sensation has been evoked in the towns of Topsham, Limpstone, Exmouth, Tainmouth and Dawlish in the south of Devon in consequence of the discovery of a vast number of foot tracks of a most strange and mysterious description the superstitious go so far as to believe that they were marks of Satan himself end quote Woolmer's Exeter and Plymouth Gazette um, in February 7th said, quote, it appears on Thursday night last, there was a very heavy snowfall in the neighborhood of Exeter and the south of Devon. On the following morning, the inhabitants of the above towns were surprised at discovering the footmarks of some strange and mysterious animal endowed with the power of ubiquity, as the footprints were to be seen in all kinds of unaccountable places, on the tops of houses and narrow walls, in gardens and courtyards, enclosed by high walls and palings, as well in open as well in open fields, end quote. So that was what was also peculiar about them. They were on like like 12 foot wall like on the sides of walls and shit like that yeah and that's where you know i know you were you were talking about earlier like oh you know skep be skeptical obviously i'm a very skeptical person but like something happened here right something happened like something here. unexplained happened here yeah and i think the big thing was that there were so many it was like the t- if, if if twitter was a thing it would have been trending on twitter everybody sure. it was definitely like it, it was in the paper for like a couple weeks. Wow. Yeah, and there's and I got a lot of really great <laughs> letter to the editor stuff. Like all of you are morons. Of course, it's not the devil. And some people were like, the devil walks among us. Like it's ugh, it was. Ugh. People are always the same. If this exact thing happened in New York City <laughs> today. People would be saying the exact same thing. I mean, like there would be some people saying it's definitely the devil, <laughs> and there'd be other people saying like you people are fucking idiots. <laughs> like if people do not change. <laughs> so, as word spread, people started to freak out. They started to panic. So, a group of people, like a group of tradesmen, you know, they got clubs and they got some guns, and they were like, "Let's follow the tracks." So they began kill the beast. Kill the beast. <laughs> so they began in the churchyard. All right, they walked east of the village for about a mile and a half, and they went north for about a half a mile to Dawlish Water, and then before, and then they doubled back about 180 degrees to follow the path south for several miles to the village of Oakland's, and that's where the tracks continued. But so after this five mile trek, the trail still had no clear material evidence of what or how these tracks were created or where the hell they came from. It was, it's, it's very bizarre. One of the men remarked that, quote, the tracks had stopped and started suddenly in the middle of fields as though they had been left by a bird or something more mysterious that had taken wing, end quote. Um, there have been other sightings of these footprints as well. This was not the only time that there have been like people have been reporting these weird footprints. So January 10th, 1945 near Everberg, Belgium. Um, these bizarre prints were found in the snow on a hill behind a place called the Chateau de Mort, Mortvaux, something French. Um, they were two and a half inches long. Wee wee baguette. I feel tower. That's as good as it gets. So they were two and a half inches long. 
They were two and a half inches long, 1.5 inches wide, nine, nine inches apart. Also a single file line. They went on for several miles over everything across hillsides, streams, through forests. And they went over these really deep snow drifts, but they didn't sink in. Yes. Very peculiar. Um, Supposedly, it also happened before the incident in Devon, this time in the May of 1840 on the remote Kerguelen Islands of the Southern Indian Ocean. So this place, and what makes this bizarre, yes, uh, it is in fact raining. It sounds like hail. No, it's just, it's just this house. Okay. I love the rain. Okay, go on. I'm distracted. Sorry, okay. (laughs) So, um... Uh, do 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 you do do. Uh, so the thing that's like also peculiar about this one is that this is like very remote land. It's all very barren. Um, the nearest civilization is the Madagascar Islands, and that's twenty five hundred miles away. So there's no trees. It's frozen. It's surrounded by rough waters. It's one of the most isolated isolated places on Earth. The only land animals there, um, at the time were seals and birds and insects. So an explorer named Sir, named Captain Sir James Ross, went out there to study plant life, and him and his um, crew, crew, escapade people, squad, squad found these prints, and there's st- there was still really no satisfying ex- explanation as to what they are. And most recently, it happened again in two thousand nine. So in March of 2009, a woman in the Woolsey North Devon reported uh, strange hoof-like marks in the snow. Quote, uh, nearly 100, this is from the Telegraph, a quote from the Telegraph. Quote, nearly 154 years to the day, Mrs. Wade, a retired local government officer, awoke and looked out of her bedroom window to see the eerie footprints stretching across her garden. She says the footprints stretched 60 to 70 feet across her garden in an arc shape, running from below her window to the other side of her garden. She said, quote, I looked in the garden and it really intrigued me. It was a complete blanket of snow. There were no other marks in the snow at all. I can't believe what I saw the footprints were in I can't believe when I saw that the footprints were in the shape of a cloven hoof, end quote. So what she did, she called in a zoologist named Graham Inglis. Not a priest. Right. <laughs> I mean, some people. Um, no, no judgment. You, uh, yeah. It's kind of freaky. So she calls in a, zoolo- a zoologist named Graham, Graham Inglis who took a look at the footprints. And Inglis was like... Quote, this is certainly a first for me. The footprints are peculiar, but they're not the devil's. I don't believe the horned one has been in Woolsery. Personally, I think it belongs to a rabbit or hare, but quite an academic punch-up has started over it. End quote. So it definitely got people talking. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's some, we got some, uh, some, 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 uh, some, some theories. Uh, so one of the main theories, obviously, that was some other animal. Um, a lot of people said it was a, some kind of bird, which explains the tracks appearing on rooftops and such like that. Sure. But no birds really have prints like this. That's a uh, devil bird. Sure. I, I, I buy it. Did you make that up? Yeah. yeah, <laughs> I, just, yeah. I just made that up. Yeah. Um, kangaroo. So this kind of, I know your face is really funny, but let me explain. Is this Devon, Australia? What's going on? So a theory that was circulated, this was circulated by a a reverend 
And he... So the idea was that, like, the kangaroo escaped from, like, some menagerie or someplace. Um, I have a quote from him. But basically, he, like, said it to calm people down and, like, kind of puts... Okay, so he explains it. So here's a quote from GM... from. Reverend G.M. Musgrave, quote, And though, without incurring the charge of the slightest approach to irreverence, I found a very apt opportunity to mention the name of a kangaroo, in allusion to the report then current. I certainly did not pin my faith to that version of the mystery, nor call upon others to receive it ex cathedra. But the state of the public mind of the villagers, dreading to stir out after sunset, under the conviction that this was the devil's walk and none other, rendered it very desirable that a turn should be given to such a degrading and vitiated notion. And I was thankful that a kangaroo was, quote, in the wind. Mine was a word in due season and did good. I have addressed communications to the British Museum, to the Zoological Society, to the keepers of birds and beasts in the Regent's Park Menagerie in and the universal reply is they are utterly unable to form any conjective on the subject. However, correctly, however, correctly, the impressions had been copied. So during that time, there were zoologists who were like, I don't know, man. I don't know what this is. Among the animals suspected overall of like creating these prints at the time of the event were hares, toads, otters, badgers, rats, donkeys, ponies, and even monkeys. Um, here's a letter from the editor from the Illustrated London News talking about otters. Quote, as much interest has been excited by these extraordinary foot tracks, I beg to offer you a few remarks and exclamation, an explanation of what I have observed in this neighborhood, Topsham. Myself and another medical friend bestowed considerable time in endeavoring to discover the peculiarities of this most singular impression. The outline, certainly, in all cases resembles that of a hoof, which has given rise to the the idea of its supernatural origin among the ignorant. But, on more minute examination of the tracks, we could distinctly see the impressions of the toes and pad of the foot of an animal, a rough draft of which I showed to a friend of mine in Exeter, and, without any comment on my part, he recognized it as that of the otter, being well acquainted with that animal and its habits. I am not being well acquainted with it. No, I am not acquainted with the otter myself. But of this, I am fully convinced that the animal, be it what it may, is of low stature, from the tracks having shown it to have passed uninterruptedly under the branches of shrubs, etc. Not more than eight or nine inches from the ground. And in a neighboring village, it went through six-inch pipe drain. It must be borne in mind that most rivers have been frozen over for some weeks, and therefore the otters have thus been prevented from obtaining their usual food, namely fish. And when such is the case, they ramble many miles in search of other food. The otter is not a rare animal in this neighborhood and frequents the streams near Exmouth, Limpstone, Woodbury, Budley, Topsham, Kleist... Clist, the River X, in all which parishes tracks have been seen, as well as Dawlish, Torquay, Totnes, Totnes, Totens, Tones, etc. End quote. So, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like, I don't know if that's like the ex- explanation, but I, I feel like a good explanation is because of this like really tough winter. It might have been an animal in the area that no one's ever really seen before. But still, like, because it's, like, looking for food in a different place. But still, like, the single file, that's weird. 
Yeah, and maybe that it it appears to be single file, but it's not. Yeah, thing you know, atmospheric conditions, something with the snow. You know, yeah. I mean, that's what I was thinking about too. You know, like when uh, I was doing the snowman episode, um, and they talked about the tracks. You know, they talked about how these tracks that look like Yeti footprints, right, are just regular footprints that have been melted. Right, right. That so, are, and that's why they seem so big. Yeah, so they maybe, talked about maybe that it could here be too, like that. But just the shape is also. People looked and was like, "That's definitely not human." Right. You know. Right. Um, another ex- explanation is that it was um um a balloon. So. Hear me out. Author Jeffrey Household suggested that, quote, an experimental balloon, end quote, released by mistake from the Devonport dockyard um, had left these tracks. So he said that it maybe, you know, it had somehow broken free and had flown out across town on that night and that apparently it had two shackles on the end um, of its mooring ropes. And that's and that Mm. like trailed behind. Um, and his source was a local man named Major Carter, whose grandfather had worked at um, the dockyard at the time. So Carter claimed that the incident had been covered up because the balloon also wrecked a number of conservatories, greenhouses, and windows before finally coming back down. So they were like, let's not talk about it. Let's <laughs> not talk about it. Um, so while this could explain... The shape of the prince, people, and like other skeptics, they're like, well, I don't think it could have traveled such like a random zigzag um, without like the, the the trailing ropes and stuff like that becoming caught in a tree or like some other obstruction. They don't, that's kind of their argument against that. Um, but yeah, that's, those are the theories. That's what I've got on the... Uh, the devil's footprints. It's definitely more um, involved than I thought it was. Like, there's more substantiation of something having happened, right? Than I actually thought there would be. Yeah, me too. That's why I was, yeah, surprised. Interesting. When I... Maybe don't judge a mystery by its uh... <laughs> by its headline on mental floss. I know by its like four <laughs> sentence summary that yeah. I find various places. Right, right. Um, okay, so my sources are. Mental floss. <laughs> I article. only said that because I saw you reading the article earlier. <laughs> uh, by Stacy Conrad. Conrad. It's like Conrad with a T at the end. Uh, MysteriousUniverse.org. An article from The Telegraph. I couldn't find the author, though. Uh, the Dark Histories podcast. Um, they, had a, they had a good uh, write-up. Um, and like I said, the, uh, the paper by Mike Dash... It had newspaper articles and, like, a ton of primary sources. It was called, quote, The Devil's Hoofmark Source Material on the Great Devon Mystery of 1855. And also, uh, Wikipedia. Uh, Wikipedia that, was more of a starting point. like, for point. Wicca people? No. <laughs> that, like, took me a second. I was like, what? <laughs> so dumb. Um, it was terrible. Are you ready for some it's a terrible weird joke. shit in the news? I'm always ready for weird shit in the news. Weird shit in the news. Mine's really, really quick, and I know you have two. Okay, go. So, this is from, this happened in Georgia. Uh, Georgia. So, Georgia. I'm not going to read the article because it gives away the, I'm not going to read the title because it gives away the whole thing. 
But basically, there were three Georgia women who bought a box of Legos while visiting um, a Charleston consignment shop. What's a consignment shop? Uh, that's like um, where you you get a space and you sell stuff, you know, like your old stuff, like an- antiques oh, or stuff. Oh, okay. Um, you, have, you, have, you have like a little booth, you know. Okay, so these women bought box Legos um, in Charleston, and when they opened the box, there was, surprise, $40,000 worth of meth. Meth. Oh, my God, your face. (laughs) So the sheriff's investigator, Jim Riggs, says that the women gifted the box to a child, and they opened it, and they discovered the three pounds of drugs. Uh, they turned the drugs in to the sheriff's office. Boring. Uh, called in. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They called in the DEA. Um, so they say they say they don't know, but they determined that the drugs were likely mailed to the wrong address. And I guess that dealers ship drugs to empty or abandoned addresses to be picked up. But the uh, USPS like doesn't really leave packages at those sites. Um, so instead, they're left with a neighbor or auction off when unclaimed. Mm. So that's what they think happened, which is unfortunate for whoever's meth that right. was. That's my meth, man. Can't find that meth. Um, so I'm doing a uh, Washington Post article by uh, Marisa Lati, um, which is entitled, It Began with a Traffic Violation and Ended with a Woman Pulling a Gator from Her Yoga Pants. Um, so there wow. were some, uh, yeah, some, uh, uh, you know, people hanging out in Florida and, uh, picking up some wildlife as you do, I guess. As you do. Uh, don't, don't do that just by the way. <laughs> don't, I wouldn't suggest it. And, um, they were sort of swerving a bit. They ran a, a stop <laughs> sign. So they got pulled over by the cops. Um, and the cops noticed some wildlife in their car and were like, hey, what the hell's that about? Like, you need to show us what you got so we make sure it's not illegal because you can't have, like, a poisonous snake, right? It's not legal to possess that in Florida. Uh, things like that. So as they were going through, the officer said that eventually uh, they asked the standard, uh, do you have anything else? And uh, this woman did, in fact, have something else. And that oh, something God. else was, in fact... Uh, tiny baby alligator that she pulled out from her yoga pants. Oh my god. This and woman is uh nuts. what kind of asshole <laughs> does that? I know. That poor thing. Yeah, it's not very nice to the uh to the animals involved, which is another reason not to do this kind of thing. So they they ended up getting cited and um hopefully won't ever do it again. I doubt it. My other one is a, a bit more lighthearted. It's uh, uh, from CNN Travel, by uh, article by Rob Pichetta, and it's a uh, Frenchman arrives in Caribbean after crossing Atlantic in giant barrel. Yes! Yay! We had a nice conversation about this one. Yeah, so this one's kind of nice. It's, it's this older gentleman uh, who literally drifted, no power, across the ocean from uh, the, uh, the coast of Africa, and he ended up in the Caribbean islands. And at 2,930 miles, several months at sea, he had not stepped on dry land this year. Um, And it's like a little houseboat, essentially, like we were talking about. It's got uh, some, uh, uh, a little hot plate, and he would uh, catch his fish and grill them up 
and drift. And that was his fucking life for several months. He called it an adventure, didn't he? It, it, yeah, it was his adventure. That's and so uh, interesting. of course, he was sponsored. There was a GPS tracker. People could go online and see where is the fucking floating geriatric out in the middle of the ocean. Ah, the floating geriatric. And, Amazing. Uh, but good for this guy. I mean, it, it, it's kind of a cool thing. And he, as part of this, did a kind of science experiment uh, for the, this other group where he um, put down, like, little buoys, you know, to measure oh, ocean yeah. currents. So uh, it was his adventure, helping out scientists, and just having a good time. Having a good old time. By yourself in a giant barrel for months. It was, like, 10 feet by 7 feet or something. It was, like, not that big, actually. It's pretty wild. And that's what we got. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you. Seriously, guys, this has been a, a really, really busy few weeks. Uh, Chloe finishing up college. You know, we're both involved in shows. So um, thanks for, for your being patient. But we, we are going to get this one in technically on Wednesday. So I'm going to go home and, and post this right away. So... Um, yeah, give uh, a look at our Patreon, at uh, my Twitter, MarioTex30. Follow us on Twitter, Miss... Murdery Thingy, I think is our handle. Um, Yes. Instagram. Mystery Murdery Thingy on Instagram. Facebook, Um, too. You know... Do um, all the things. If you're in the Blono area... Give us a... You know, you can come down to the Community Players Theater and see me in A Few Good Men. uh, Here for one more weekend. Um, come to, that's not what I was going to say. I don't know. I forgot what I was going to say. I forgot. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Okay, now I have to turn. I have to show up my face. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.